Okay, so we're continuing on in this series, A First Century Faith for the 21st Century. And we've been looking at singleness, uh, marriage, and today we're going to look at parenting. Uh, it's a huge topic. There's so many angles to this. Uh, I'm sure if we had Garen up here or Mike up here or Norm up here, um, they would have a lot to say in terms of um, godly parenting in their own homes. Um, but what we're going to do today is we're going to focus on three main passages that the Bible talks about in terms of parenting. And then I'm going to give you two pastoral exhortations that uh, I just chose two of them that I think are especially relevant, have been in our own family. Uh, so let me pray for our time together, and then uh, we'll go into it. <clears throat> Father, this morning, uh, we want to look into your word. We see a crisis that is, has unfolded for um, decades in our land in terms of ungodly parenting and uh, a world that is conforming our children to its own image. We see our children being devoured by Satan, and you have called your people to yourself, but also to make disciples, and there are no more important disciples for us to make than our own children. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be faithful with that for those of us that are parents. For those of us that are single, may you use something in this sermon, Lord. May you speak directly into the single's mind so that if you grace them with marriage and children one day, um, they will start off on the right path, Lord, because it is uh, based on your truth and your wisdom. And so we pray that you would bless our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so we're talking about... Godly Christian biblical parenting today. And um, to get to that place, you have to wade through a lot of noise that is happening in our culture in terms of how to prioritize what you're supposed to do with your kids and how you're supposed to do it. You have to wade through all of this noise and get to the signal of God. Some of the noise that fills our minds that we're exposed to is we can look at our children and say, you know, um, really my goal for you is to just get good grades. It's to just do well in sports. It's to have good friends. It's so that you can develop a, a hard working ethic and have a sense of discipline in your life that, um, and that will serve you well in your career that uh, I just want you to stay out of trouble. You know, just don't get into big trouble that can affect the trajectory of your life. I want you to be healthy. You know, I don't want you to get, come down with cancer or some other life-altering disease. And a lot of times we can look at our children on very practical levels. Those things are not bad. Those things are good. Uh, but I think for a lot of parents, those are like the primary considerations and maybe a few others. And so you have... All of these priorities that you have to kind of separate as a parent, saying those are practical things that are good, but are they the core things that God wants me to focus on? And then you live, and I live, in a fallen world that talks about all of these ways on how to parent based on the birth order of your children, and that's like going to be the key to unlocking this thing. Uh, we live in a fallen world that talks about uh, helping your child discover their gender identity. We live in a fallen world that pressures us 
to simply say, I'm going to just give positive reinforcement to my child and tell them they're great, um, and that's going to be the best thing for them. And so there's all this worldly advice that's out there, some of it helpful, some of it obviously not, that we have to get past the noise. And then we live in a time where there's a tremendous shift in how we view children in the relationship between children and parents. This is really the first time in probably, uh, certainly in Western history, but perhaps even in human history, where youth is worshipped over age. Where, you know, you just look at any television show out there and how youth, people are trying to hold on to their youth. People are looking at young people and the, the parents on these TV shows or shows or stream seem to be completely stupid in light of, the, in light of their you know, 15-year-old kid. And it hasn't been this way before, where we look at youth and say, that's the ideal state. That's how I want to look. And uh, the wisdom that we have is with them, in addition to the fact that this is the first time in human history that the old have to go to the young to get information. When was the last time you asked your grandfather for advice on technology? Okay, we go to young people and say, well, how does this work? How do we find the information? That has never happened throughout human history before. And so all of this in our world today, we have to get past this noise and get to the signal of truth of God. Most parents are going to miss, most parents will not apply what we're going to talk about today. And so what I did was I chose three main passages uh, that I think are critical in terms of Christian parenting that we're going to look at briefly today. And then again, I'm going to give you a couple of exhortations. This is very important because the world is actively and purposely evangelizing and discipling children today. Romans chapter 1, we know the world is getting, uh, Romans chapter 12, we know the world is wanting to conform our children to its own image. We know from 1 Peter chapter 5 that Satan is actively out there seeking to devour um, us, and certainly children are part of that. And so Ephesians chapter 5, what we want to do today is redeem the time. We want to recognize that the days are evil. We want to live as those who are wise. We want to redeem the time um, and to do that in Christian parenting, okay? So let's go right into it, and let's go to our our first principle here. The number one most important thing to remember in Christian parenting is children need to follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. This is the number one most important priority you have as a parent to your children, is to introduce them to Christ and lead them to Christ if the Lord so um, allows. It's more important than uh, their schooling, their sports, their health, their friends, their accomplishments. Do they have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? This is our number one priority um, as parents. You can go back to the 1970s in this country, even into the 1960s. The the the, uh, the height of church attendance, kind of the height of Christendom here in the West, in America, really peaked somewhere around the late 60s. And it's gone in decline in terms of church attendance, biblical beliefs from that point forward. So you can go back here in this country. 
over the past 50, 60 years. And if we were to go back to that time when there was the most per capita attendance of churches here in America, and we were to go back in the time machine and turn to everyone who attended church and say the following message and say, you know what? Here's what we're going to do. This is like the late 1960s. I'm from the future. I'm telling you what to do. If you're attending a church, let's cut every outreach program we're going to do for the next 55 years, 60 years. Let's cut the budget. Let's not even do that. All we have to do is if you're a parent here at a church, just lead your own kids to Christ. And that's all we have to do for the next 60 years. Anyone who shows up at church, the parents are taught how to lead their kids to Christ. And if the Lord draws them to himself, and if we had only done that, done no outreach for the past 60 years, only the parents led their own kids to Christ, we would have won far more people to Christ than in the past 60 years with all of our outreach evangelistic stadium, mass evangelism efforts. And so this is the reality. Um, You know, people in youth ministry have talked about this for 60 years. And what they used to say up until the early 21st century was they used to say that statistically, and there's many you know, studies that have borne this out, that statistically up to about 80 to 85% of people who make a first-time profession of faith uh, in Christ do so before their 18th birthday. Okay, That's what was quoted for like 40 years. And somewhere around the early 21st century, um, we realized, no, that's not accurate anymore. Actually, um, now the new stats have been that somewhere between 70 to 80% of people who make a first-time profession of faith do so before they're 13 years old, not 18. It's actually not a good trend. You don't want to have to reach people younger and younger because that means you statistically have less time. Now, are all those professions of faith true or not? That's a different issue. But that goes to show the importance of children's ministry. It goes to show the importance of introducing children to the Lord Jesus Christ at an early age. We can see this logically, right? As you get older, you become more jaded. Your heart becomes hardened. Your ears become dull. Your eyes become more blinded if you keep rejecting the gospel. We understand that. That makes logical sense. And so introducing children in the beginning to Christ is very important. Um, In Matthew 19, we're going to bring up this passage right here. In Matthew 19, verse 13 through 15, this is our first passage. Um, It says, Then children were brought to him, that's Jesus, that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them, and he went away. Um, This is a a, a time in the Roman Empire that uh, is happening in the first century. This would have been completely radical. This whole idea that you could bring children to a teacher, children to this adult, and, and, and this adult and this great teacher would bless them and say, let the children come to me. I love them. Let them come to me uh, as Lord and Savior. Let them come to me. Let me, touch, let me love them. They are valued in the kingdom. Now, certainly Jesus was talking as a metaphor as well about that we must have the humility and simple like faith as children in order to enter the kingdom. Yes, he's talking about that. But there's also this other angle. That he, these are real children, maybe some infants, all the way up to toddlers somewhere around that age that are coming to Jesus. This is radical. 
in the new, uh, first century. In Rome, during this time, if you were a Roman father um, and the baby uh, was born by the mother, it, it was the father could literally determine on the spot whether he wanted to uh, take that baby or he could just turn his back and walk away. And if the father walked away, this is not like a Roman emperor. This is the average Roman father had this right. If he walked away, the baby oftentimes was discarded and maybe picked up and uh, raised in a life of slavery. A father at any point could turn to his child while the child is in his own home. A Roman father could just say, "Um, you're out of the house. I'm going to abandon you. No one would hold that father accountable. The father could sell that child into slavery. The The father could even murder that child. A Roman father could murder a child, and there'd be no crime. That's how much power Roman fathers had over children. So when Jesus is saying, let them come to me, do not hinder, this is completely opposite of the Roman um, Empire and what it taught. And so when he says the children in verse 13, that Greek word that's used for children uh, really had the idea of anyone from infants to toddlers. There's a parallel passage in the book of Mark and the book of Luke. And so the idea here was that <coughs> infants up to toddlers were being brought to Jesus. As an aside, um, I think there's ample biblical evidence, theological evidence, that uh, and some of you might know couples who have had infants die. Um, I know of a couple who uh, the, the baby was born and died a week later. Um, many couples have had um, miscarriages. I saw a pastor uh, the other week who was um, having a gravesite service just a couple weeks ago for his, uh, his baby that was lost in a miscarriage. And so when you look in passages like Deuteronomy 1, like Jonah chapter 4, talks about those who do not know good or evil, uh, these little children, this idea that they, they will still be with the Lord. When you look at Job chapter 3, Job says, I wish I was never born. Because if I, if, if I, if I had like, died in the womb or if I was born, died soon thereafter, Job goes on to say, I would have been with kings and with the Lord. And so Job believed, even at early, uh, if he was to die early as an infant or a preborn, that he would have been with the Lord. You can look at 2 Samuel chapter 12 when uh, David was confronted by Nathan and uh, the baby that Bathsheba was carrying was born and the baby died. And you know, David had fasted and prayed for that baby while it was born, but, but you know, then, it, then he died. And when you look in 2 Samuel chapter 12, David says, you know, after the baby, his son dies, uh, I cannot go to him anymore. Uh, he, cannot come, he cannot be here. He cannot come to me, but I, David, will come to him. David believed that when he died, he would see his newborn son in heaven. Um, you can look at um, other things. Uh, there's a, a passage from John Calvin. And John, I was reading this week, and Calvin, this man, we talk about predestination, uh, believed that newborn infants and young children would go to heaven and the Lord would have mercy upon them. When Darcy, Keen and Ethan were born, uh, it's beautiful. It's wonderful to be a father. Uh, but uh, that reality hits you very quickly when you bring the newborn home. And there are sleepless nights. There are cries. There are demands when I'm hungry, when I have to have my diaper changed. 
when I just want to be held, that we're all, we were all like that as babies. All, all parents know that. And I would look at these three kids, and there would be a few thoughts that would go through my mind. I'd say, number one, oh, you're a beautiful baby. I'm so fortunate to have a father, to be your father and Lorraine to be the mother. Uh, we're going to love you. We're going to raise you. We're going to, um, you know, we're so thankful. And then I'd think, oh, you're hungry, or you need to be fed, or, or uh, have your diaper changed, et cetera. What, what is it? We've got to figure this, solve this problem. But then I would think, you know, as you're crying at me, uh, you may be my child, but uh, you're an evil sinner. And the only thing that keeps you from strangling me and killing me is the fact that you don't have the physical or mental capacity to do so. Because you are looking with me with such demand and hatred. If I don't feed you right now, I'm going to get you. And I realized, even looking at them at this young age, yes, wonderful children, but you're a wicked sinner. And the only thing that keeps you from destroying me, annihilating me, is the fact that you can't at this moment. I was the same way. So were you when you were a kid. Uh, This is what David says in Psalm 51. He says, behold, I was brought forth, brought forth by my mother in iniquity and in sin. Did my mother conceive me? All right, so the total depravity of the human heart, the original sin from Adam, is imparted to us even when we're in the womb. David understood that. Um, once you li- I was reading this a biography this week, William Tyndale. Uh, he's a guy responsible for basically taking, he was the first translations of the Bible from the original Greek and Hebrew into English, and uh, he was uh, part of the Reformation, probably uh, at some point met Martin Luther and, and Melanchthon. Um, but I was reading this this week, and he talks about young children, and listen to how he describes young children. So he, he's writing from like the 1500s or so. He says, as a serpent, this is William Tyndale, yet young or yet unbrought forth, is full of poison, he's talking about children, and cannot afterward, when the time has come and occasion given, but bring forth the fruits thereof, and as an adder, a toad, or a snake, is hated of man, not for the evil that it has done, but for the poison that is in it, he's talking about the poison in children, and hurt, which it cannot but do, so are we hated of God, for that natural poison which is conceived and born with us before we do any outward evil. Can you bring me that tissue? Right there, Keen. Thank you. Sorry. I get cold, my nose runs. All right. And so William Tyndall reminds us of that. When I think of my children, uh, Lorraine and I made this commitment. We said, you know, if, if we do nothing else right, we're going to introduce them to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that, that had been our prayer um, every week over them since they were born. Say, Lord, would you just speak to their hearts? Lord, would you be gracious enough to draw them to yourself? Lord, I pray that they may come to faith in Jesus Christ. And um, as they have come to embrace Jesus Christ, our prayer has changed now. And our prayer has been, Lord, may... Um, May they walk with you all the days of their life, not turning to the left or to the right,
may they walk with you all the days of their life. And so for us, uh, we have seen this as our primary responsibility to introduce Jesus Christ to them. And, you know, you know it's hard, right? Because you want your kids to good, get good grades. You want them to do well in, in, in whatever it is, sports or music or whatever they're doing. You want them to be popular. You want all these things for your children. Those are good things. But we, would, we felt that we would have failed as parents if we did not um, focus our home around the Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, whether they came to faith or not, that's really up to the Lord and, and them, but uh, we want to make sure that happened. The second passage up here I want to take you to, um, which is, uh, let's keep it here. This is a passage uh, we're going to get to in a moment in Colossians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. And it talks about the importance of children obeying the Lord. Fathers not provoking um, children and not causing them to be discouraged. Um, let's go there. Colossians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. Colossians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. Uh, Paul has uh, been talking about the importance of right relationships in terms of submitting to the Holy Spirit, wives submitting to their husbands, and husbands loving your wives. That's verse 18, verse 19. And then he comes to children. And he's going to talk about them before he talks about workers or, or slaves, bond servants after that. But we're going to look at verse 20 and 21. Uh, Paul says this, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this is pleasing, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. There are very few commands in uh, the New Testament that directly speak solely to children. Uh, of course, like a lot, the commands of to follow Jesus and be part of the church and live in a holy life, place your faith in Christ, all of those apply to children, uh, to all of us as well. But very few specific commands saying, I, I, as Paul or Peter or James or John or Jesus, am speaking to you directly as children. This is one of them. And so the command here in verse 20 is, children, obey your parents. Obey your parents. All of these other commands of, of other uh, things of what we want our kids to, to do pales to the command that children are simply to obey their parents. Why is that? Why is having obedient children important? It's because if a child cannot learn to obey the parent, that child will have a difficult time learning to obey the word. That child will have a difficult time learning to obey the Lord. And so one of the charges that are given directly to children is you must develop an obedient spirit. And I think the reason behind that is because the Lord from a young age, you know, your parents are there. They're there every day, 24-7. And if you can learn and have an obedient spirit, it will also set you up to have an obedient spirit to the Lord and his word. As well as, again, in verse 20, it says, why? Because this pleases the Lord. And that's what I tell my children. I say, look, you should obey mommy and daddy, not just because it's mommy and daddy, and if you don't, there's going to be consequences, but you should obey because when you obey us, it pleases the Lord. 
And that should be your primary motivation, that this is an act of worship for you. This is an act where you were doing something in reverence to God, not just to your parents. Um, Obedience is very important. Child to parent in the Bible. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 18 says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Proverbs 1, verse 18. See, one of the marks of a fallen heart in an unregenerate child, in an unbelieving child, is that they're disobedient to their parents. Um, You can look in Romans chapter 1. You can look in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And that is the mark of the unregenerate heart of a child. It was the mark of actually the end times, is that you would look at children and you would see them as uh, as um, as a generation, as those who are disobedient to their parents. It's a mark of an unregenerate heart in the end times. And he says here in Colossians chapter 3, uh, in verse 21, Fathers, do not provoke your children. Um, that word fathers there, probably could also um, have to do with mothers as well. Um, But he says, do not provoke them. Do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Now, this is a directive towards basically parents. He says, don't provoke them. What does provoke mean? It basically means this. Stop nagging your kids. Stop nagging your kids in a way that provokes them. Because when children are provoked to anger long-term, what is really happening in the heart of the child when there's an ongoing pattern? Not like a one-time blow-up, one-time you know, exchange. And on, I'm talking month after month, year after year, of, chil- of parents sinfully nagging, provoking their children. What is really happening in the heart of the child? is that there's this deep-seated anger that is happening in their hearts that starts to form a sense of resentment, of bitterness in the child's heart towards the parent. And ultimately, that expresses itself, that deep-seated anger, that resentment, that bitterness, expresses itself to outward hostility. Maybe not physically, but emotionally, relationally. Some kind of hostility is manifest. And that is a sign that the child's heart is discouraged. The child is disheartened. How can fathers provoke, or mothers, fathers and mothers, how can we provoke our children to anger? Well, there's a lot of different ways in the home. We can be, uh, you know, children need to feel that they are being provided for, that they are protected. You can provoke your children when they feel like they're not being provided for, that they're not being protected. That can provoke a child to anger. You can provoke your children to anger by um, setting an impossible standard for them to live up to. They're constantly discouraged because nothing I do can really uh, make mom or dad happy with me. They always want more. You can provoke your children to anger by favoring one child over another. You know, I, I, I am very aware, and, and Lorraine is too, that um, I, I never wanted Darcy, Keen, and Ethan 
to feel like, oh, I know which one of us is daddy's favorite or mommy's favorite. And so I've never said that to them. Um, and I, I think it's true. I, I, I see each one of them in my, as my favorite in different ways. Now, there might be like a Tuesday where I see something, you're not my favorite as much as them, or a Thursday, oh, no, yeah, you're my favorite. There might be a particular day, but in general, um, I see them all as my favorites, and I would never want them uh, to walk away feeling like I was the least uh, of these. Parents can provoke their children by having an overly critical spirit and not praising them. Um, Praising children is not puffing them up and glorifying them and taking glory away from God. Um, it's commending them for the good things that they're doing in the Lord. It's commending them for the good things. And, and I think that, um, you know, I don't live up to this with perfection, but I told Lorraine, and we've, we've had these conversations with, with kids and each other. I said, you know, for every critique, we want there to be at least two praises as a general rule. Parents can promote, uh, provoke their children to anger uh, by not loving them not saying I love you, not being available for them. Parents can provoke their children to anger, obviously through abusing them in different ways. And I think as well, um, it can anger a child when they see rampant hypocrisy in the life of the parent. I told you not to do this, and I do the exact opposite, but that's okay because I'm the parent. So do as I say, not as I do. And over time, depending on what it is, um, that can provoke children. And I think one of the worst things you can do as a parent to provoke children is just to be angry parents, to be angry people. Not, did I get angry this one time, every now and then because I'm a sinful human being, but am I known as an angry father, as an angry mother? And that can provoke them to anger. Why? Because Proverbs chapter 22 says, um, do not make any friendship with an angry person lest you learn their ways and get ensnared in a trap. And yet when you're a child under the parent's roof, if the parents are angry people, they can't get away from that anger, so they become angry people. This is very important because Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 and 27 says, do not let the sun go down on your anger, uh, because if you do, you can let Satan himself have a foothold into your heart. It's very, very scary when Satan gets a foothold into a household. You know, yesterday um, we took, uh, you know, I, I, was, I was, had a lot of work to do, but uh, we found out there was a, a chess club that was meeting um, down the street. And so Lorraine didn't have a background in chess. I kind of did. And so she goes, can you come with us? We want to sign Ethan up for this. And so we went down there at uh, 9 in the morning, you know, just to get some information. And, uh, you know, we found out about it. And... Um, we were talking with one of the organizers, and Lorraine and I had a small disagreement, which was fine after a few moments, about it going forward. Um, but then uh, she goes, why, why, why don't you have Ethan play uh, one of these chess people? We can check out you know, how good he is. So he sat down, and there was just someone who walked in. They was playing. And I was watching the game. I was trying not to hover, right? But I was watching the game, and um, you know, he, he played a pretty good game, and then he was losing at the end, right? And it, if you know chess, there comes a point where you're totally going to lose, and you should just resign. So that point came, and I said, Ethan, you should just resign. And then that point left us, and it kept, the game kept going on, and so I just kind of walked away. And he kept playing, and then, of course, he lost. And then we were walking back, because he was a little distressed, and I was telling him, hey, you know what? I, 
you know, you don't have to be upset because I told you before we walked in the door, you're not going to win against these people. So just accept the fact before you walk in the door. I'm telling you that right now. And he was upset. And then when he got better, I said, you know, I, I, I have to tell you this. Um, chess etiquette is such, and you're going to learn the manners of the game, where it's clear when you're going to lose, you're supposed to resign. And then it just went all south from there, right? And I was upset, and I was like, you know, what am I doing here, right? I come to try to help out this week, and the whole situation worked. And then so Lorraine and Ethan went into Costco, and they came back. I kind of calmed down, and then I just go, you know what, Ethan? Um, I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to provoke you. Um, but you know what? You did a good job, and uh, we'll work on it together. And so we made up. But I, I, I say that not so much about Ethan. I say that because... One of the things that I think Lorraine and I, not we don't do this to perfection, obviously, but one of the things we've tried to remember is it's important for us as parents. We're telling our kids, um, you know, don't be angry people, et cetera, whether we provoke them or not, um, that they see us as parents when it's appropriate to apologize, to ask for forgiveness, even of them, because we're sinful too. Now, it doesn't mean that they're the authority over us. My point is, is that part of not provoking the children to anger is do the children also see that mom apologizes to dad or asks forgiveness to dad and vice versa, dad to the mom? Do the children also see when it's appropriate for the parent to go to the child and say, you know, I was wrong or I took it too far? Because I could feel the holy conviction of the Holy Spirit going, you know, don't stay on him about his mistakes because you're provoking him to anger. Number three, let's go to a third passage here. Uh, children need to obey and honor their parents <laughs> because of God. Again, a very similar command. Uh, and fathers are not to anger their children, but to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Okay, that's our third passage. We're going to go to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 through 4. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 through 4. Let's turn there together. Okay, uh, Paul says this, uh, children, obey your parents, just like the Colossians passage, in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So he adds a few new things in there. Children are to obey their parents, it says in verse 1, in the Lord. With the Lord in mind, why? Verse 1, because this is right. It is right not just because your parents say so. It is right to have an obedient spirit to your parents in the eyes of the Lord. The Lord has placed your parents in authority over you as children. This is right. So we want to direct our children to obedience, not just because it's the rule, not just because we have have the power over them, not just because we gave birth to them, etc. We want to direct them, say, to develop an obedient spirit because this is what the Lord wants and is what, what is right in his eyes. Now, obviously, if the parent is asking the child to do something that's unbiblical or overtly sinful, that's different. But in general, this is uh, a command that stands. It says, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That's uh, one of the commandments in the law, to honor your father and mother. You know, when my mom was incapacitated for... Uh, for six years, you know, from 2014 to 2022. And then my dad died in 2016. You know, we had to take care of her. 
I had to make a lot of decisions re- related to her health. And uh, I, I said, what would honor my mom? And so I made several decisions during that time that were very costly in a lot of different uh, levels. But I, I looked back on that and I said, you know, that I would do that all over again to honor her. It's not just, see, she's still my mom, right? And so I still want to honor her, even although it can come at great cost, and because I'm her, her son. And so we want to honor our parents. And he says, um, that it may go well with you, verse 3, and that you may live long in the land. So he expounds on the blessing. It's right, and this was actually a command that uh, was for promise for the children coming into the promised land, but it still, I think, stands today that when children are obedient to their parents, they're not just doing it because it's right, not just because it pleases the Lord, but also it says in verse 3 that the Lord, the Lord will bless them, that it can go well with them, that they may live long. Now, that's not a blanket guarantee, but in general, it's a principle that the Lord blesses the life prospers the life of children who have an obedient spirit to their parents. But I want you to notice something. Uh, in verse 4, he says, Fathers, again, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up to, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And I want you to take a step back and ask yourself this question. Um, why would children get angry in the home? And why is the discipline and instruction of the Lord mentioned in the same breath as angering children? I think what it has to do with is... Um, Children want to know the truth. They want to have godly boundaries. They want to have godly direction. They may not be able to articulate that exactly like that, but we as parents know that about them. When that is absent, like if if a father's absent physically, you know, that would anger the child. Same thing with the mother if they're divorced, child you know, parent dies or some crazy thing happens. That would anger the child because, oh, I grew up without a dad or mom or whatever. But I think it's very similar with um, the discipline and instruction of the Lord. When that is missing from the home, there is a sense in the child's heart that there's, there's, there's a growing sense of discontent there because they're wanting to know uh, where the godly boundaries are, where the godly wisdom is. And, and that is that of their own heart? No, their spirit is dead. They can't do that on their own. We understand that. But at the same time, I think... Um, for those parents who provide that for their children, that there's a desire for that. And so we need to discipline and instruct our children so that they can move forward in the ways of the Lord. Uh, Discipline is very important in the Christian home. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12 says that God disciplines us just like a father disciplines his children, and the result is righteousness. And yes, uh, we do believe in spanking, appropriately. There's other ways that you can inflict consequences. All the elders have spanked their children when they, they were younger, when they were children. Um, hopefully you don't have to do that that often, but that's a different conversation. Uh, spare the rod, spoil the child, that kind of thing, book of Proverbs. But here, I think here's the key with discipline, is it has to be done with justice. There's a proverb, Proverb 21, verse 15, that is very, uh, I think, Uh, has been instrumental in our family. Proverbs 21, verse 15 says, When justice is done, it is a joy to the righteous, but a terror to evildoers. When justice is done, it is a joy to the righteous, but terror to evildoers. 
And I think when children don't see justice in the home, or they, they're, an evil has come against them, and the parent doesn't come to their defense in justice to protect them, uh, there's an anger that comes out. And so discipline is very important, but discipline done in a just way. If I um, side with Cain, if there's a disagreement to, between him and Darcy or Ethan, and uh, Cain was wrong, clearly wrong, but I just go, well, you know, you're my firstborn son, and so therefore, you know what, forget justice between, even though you were wrong, it was clear, everybody knows that. There's an anger that comes up with Darcy and Ethan, right? Why? Because justice was not done. But when justice is done in the home, and the children know, you know, this is going to be a just home. The children know that if injustice is done to me, mom and dad are going to be there. Then it says, Proverbs 21, verse 15, it is a joy to the righteous and terror to evildoers. He says, bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. Uh, This is very important in Israel's history. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Shema, uh, Israel was commanded to teach the children as they walked along the way in the home. When they put their kids to bed at night, they were to put these scriptures on their doorposts. Um, You walk into the Tozan's home and you see uh, a scripture on the wall, and I'm sure many others of you as well, putting scriptures on the doorposts, teaching your children. And we want to instruct our children on how to relate to people through the Bible, how to interpret the world through the Bible, to know the way of salvation through the Bible. We want to instruct them in what we're learning through the scriptures. And so it's very important. We teach them to obey and honor their parents, not provoking them to anger, but bringing them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. If you don't bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, the world will. The, the world will. I wish I had that when I was a child. I, you know, I didn't have much of that in my own home growing up my entire life. My mom was a Christian, good Christian, but I didn't get taught much in the home. Uh, my sisters were gone, both gone out of the house by the time I was 13, and my dad was a non-believer. And so I didn't really have that in the home. Like I, I can't really remember more than half a dozen times growing up in my home where we actually prayed together as a family in my entire life. Or I, I can't remember one time where our family sat down together and opened up the Bible together as a family growing up. And so I really wanted that. I, and I realize now, having you know older, what I didn't have, um, and the Lord has been gracious to me, but... Um, I think that's important, discipline, instruction, Lord. All right, last two exhortations, and we'll be done. I'm just going to choose two of these because I think that this is, uh, falls under the category of follow me as I follow Christ. And I choose these two because they have important themes in our own family. Um, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. I think we have that up there as well. And this is a pastoral exhortation about having your children uh, have wise, not foolish friends. Have wise, not foolish friends. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20 says this. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools suffers harm. Um, They say that when children move into the teenage years, there's three questions, existential questions, that come to the fore in the life of a child as a teenager. Question one. Who am I apart from my parents? Um, I, I kind of identified who I am with my parents as a child. 
now who am I apart from my parents? I, I kind of begin that journey. Number two, um, what do I want to give my life to you know, now that I have a choice? And number three, who are my friends that I get to choose? And so Lorraine and I have been um, praying for Darcy, Keen, and Ethan. Lord, um, number one, would you bring them good friends? And number two, may they become a good friend to other people. Because they can be surrounded. I, I had a lot of great friends when I was a kid, but I'm not necessarily think that I was a really good friend to other people. And so it's both. And so we pray for them and say, Lord, would you protect them from the evil one? Would you protect them from evil things? And would you protect them from evil and foolish people? So who they're around really matters in shaping them. You know that already. That's obvious, but let this just be a reminder. And lastly for today, a second pastoral exhortation. This has probably been uh, the most important and certainly the most common prayer that um, we've prayed over our children since Darcy was born. And Philippians chapter 1, verse 9 through 11, I just love this prayer. When I uh, read it one day before Darcy was born, I just said, you know, this is going to be the prayer. We are going to pray over our children. There's so much in here. Philippians chapter 1, verse 9 through 11. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, so you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Keep your eyes on the scripture. Look at all of the good things that will equip your child uh, as you pray this for them. You're praying for... um, that their love would grow, that they'd be loving people, have a love for God, love for other people, that they would know the love of God. You're praying for um, discernment, knowledge and discernment. That I, We pray for our kids, God, would you just give them a discerning spirit to tell the difference between good and evil, right and wrong, the truth and the lie. We pray that they would pursue the things that are excellent, focusing on the things that are right, We pray that uh, they may be pure and blameless, knowing that Christ will return, that there's an urgency to their life, that they'll endure to the end in Christian faith. We pray that their spirit, their character, would be filled with the fruit of righteousness in Jesus Christ. Above any other accomplishment, that their character would be like Christ, and there would be the fruit of that. And finally, we pray that their lives would be lived to the praise and glory of God, and that they would know that. It's very important, because when you know that your life is lived for the praise and glory of God, there's a peace, there's a joy, there's a strength, there's a sense of direction to your life. When you know, maybe your life isn't going as great as it is, but if you know that your life is being lived to the praise and glory of God, there's a sense of, of groundedness, of perseverance and strength that comes upon you, saying, even though the circumstance isn't exactly what I would have wanted, I know that I'm giving my life, and my life is about the right person and the right thing. And so we pray that for our children, and, um, and the Lord has, has blessed that thus far. So uh, that is Christian parenting, and we want to pray for an obedient spirit and for kids to know the Lord. And so let's pray together. We close. Fathers, we close our time together. Um, we lift up our children, Lord. May they come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. May they follow him all the days of their life. May we as parents, flawed, as sinful as we are, um, receive your grace to parent wisely, 
May the conviction of the Holy Spirit come upon child as well as parents for ways we all in the home need to turn from our wicked, self-absorbed, limited ways to seek forgiveness and cleansing, to seek the righteousness of Christ. May you bring unity to our homes. May you bring peace to our homes. May you bring righteousness to our homes, Lord. May you do a work so that um, the fruit of righteousness of Christ may be at the center of our homes. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.